are there going to be new hygiene regulations? Should I worry that my planes are not getting a run? What if my flight instructors take other jobs? I haven't flown in so long. I'm sure I'll be rusty. Welcome back to Grounded. I'm Angela Stevenson. This is episode two of a series of podcasts for rightspeakfly.com. I'm interviewing industry participants about the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on general aviation in Australia. But even more, how we move forward, what do we do from here, and what will that look like? You can join in the discussion at rightspeakfly.com forward slash grounded. On each episode page, there is a comment section, and you can also leave questions for my next guest, Wendy Mann of Geraldton Air Charter. I'll be asking Wendy more about the effects of the pandemic on the charter tourism industry and her business generally. But firstly, a caveat. Last week, and rightly so, I might add, I was very gently picked up for using the term private charter. And technically, yes, this term is not quite right to those in the know. The correct GA term is simply charter in Australia. So hopefully you won't hear me use it again. However, I'm not the aviation expert and I'll never pretend to be. I'm here to ask questions, facilitate the conversation and get the discussion started. So you'll simply have to forgive me occasionally. Speaking of experts though, in the cockpit, I mean in the hot seat today, is Michael Monk, Chairman of Recreational Aviation Australia, better known as RAOZ. Michael has worked for airlines, airports and other aviation related businesses in a number of capacities and provides advice to a variety of management and boards in the aviation sector. He also represents General Aviation on the Aviation Safety Advisory Panel which provides advice directly to the CEO DAS, the Director of Aviation Safety of CASA and the General Aviation Advisory Network which informs the Minister on Aviation Related Matters. I'd say he's a little more expert than yours truly. So, hi Michael, and thanks for joining me. Hi Angela, and uh, it's good to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Firstly, let's set the discussion framework for the listeners. How do you describe RA in relation to GA and the industry as a whole? I don't think they are distinguishable from each other. RA Oz itself, what we do is uh, we limit it to Dave uh, Bar, two-seat aircraft, um, and non-commercial activities. So in that sense, the only commercial activity that we're allowed to conduct is flight training, uh, but we're not allowed to conduct charter operations, passenger, cargo, etc. So it's pretty easy to define what RAOS does, but in the sense of how does that compare to GA, they really blend into each other. Uh, I think back to when I first learned to fly, I learned to fly in what would ordinarily be known as GA, uh, and it was in Cessna 150s, um, Beechcraft skippers, etc., those aircraft, they're light, two-seat, single-engine, fixed undercarriage, uh, day VFR, cruise at about 100 knots. That's exactly what uh, RAOs is, really. But to me, it's it's not about what you fly. It's it's that passion. If if you've got someone who's interested in looking up when they hear a plane fly overhead or even see a hot air balloon or glider or whatever, to me, that's what aviation is about. And it's not about whether you fly RAOs or gliders or 747s. Um, it's whether you've got a passion the, you know, craning your neck and looking upwards to see what's going overhead. That's exactly right. And we all use the same maintenance facilities, or not so much for RPT, but certainly uh, GA and, and RA. We all use the same maintenance facilities, runways, airports a lot of the time, fuel bowsers, etc. So the differences really perhaps don't matter. 
let's talk about flying first. What's the word on the ground? How have your members, how has recreational aviation flying been affected by the pandemic? Yeah, look, we've, we've been affected just as most other um, aviation organisations have. Our operations have been severely limited. But I think one of the, the biggest challenges for us, and, and I think aviation uh, in general at the small end of town, is the lack of clarity. We, as RAOs, we, we try to stay on top of the emerging issues as they happen uh, and provide information to our members, to our schools, instructors, etc. And one of the challenges that we faced at the moment is trying to interpret what is going on and what is and is not allowed to be done. You know, we've, we've had some reports of some people landing at a regional airport in New South Wales. Uh, he stopped in regional New South Wales to uh, fill his aircraft up with fuel. Uh, and then continue on to a, a property that he owns in Queensland. Now, that flight started at, down in Victoria. Uh, so he's crossed into New South Wales, landed, and then crossed into Queensland. And his argument was that he owns and runs a large property in Queensland, and so it's essential travel. Now, he didn't get fined, but had it just been a flight that originated in Victoria and landed in regional New South Wales, uh, the story could have been very different. Even around things like, you know, what constitutes essential travel? Uh, people are saying for work, uh, for education, but then we, we dig a little bit deeper and ask what constitutes education? Does that mean education for a formal qualification that allows you to work? So, for example, a university degree? Or is that education for just personal growth? So a private pilot licence. There's differing rules in different states and territories. There's a complete lack of clarity and there's no single voice to go to. And I think that's the biggest challenge that we probably face at the moment. So I'm going to move on to more business-related matters now. Last week I spoke to Andrew Smith about the fragility of the aviation industry as a whole. In what ways do you see RA as fragile, if you do? The fragile part of the industry, from the members' perspective, the flying schools, uh, now, I think there's a, a common belief amongst the general public that people who can afford to fly, they must be wealthy. You know, they've got, you know, they drive fast cars, flash cars. Uh, they've got plenty of money in the bank and so on and so forth. But what they, um, what they don't realise is that that is not the case. We've got a lot of what are typically or colloquially known as uh, mum and dad flying schools, and they're not backed by large corporate entities. Their aircraft, if they're, they're shut down and they, uh, they're not allowed to operate, really does have a, an adverse impact on their ability to, to earn an income. And what's more, we've got a lot of sole traders as well. Sole traders are not necessarily being granted access to things like the JobKeeper program. Mm. And then we've got uh, a lot of casual instructors as well. Uh, and we all know that if you haven't been employed for, I think it's 12 months in a casual position, then you're, you're also not eligible for the JobKeeper program. A lot of our pilots are, are working towards getting a, a start in the airlines and that means that they probably haven't been working in a flying school as an instructor for 12 months and that that puts a huge amount of pressure on them as an individual but also the school um, schools don't want to lose that uh, access to that expertise but at the same time they can't afford to keep it so there's there's a, a few significant challenges for our schools out there how is RA Oz holding up as an association and what are you looking to do in the upcoming months? As an organisation, we're on quite sound footing. We've worked very hard over the last five or six years to make sure that we've got things in place for a scenario like this. 
we always hoped that we wouldn't have the so-called rainy day, but it has arrived. And and what this does for RAOs is it, it proves that you know, the effort that we've put in in terms of um, business continuity and whatnot, making sure that we've got financial reserves, we've got about $1.2 million in cash reserves at the moment, we've got about $2.5 million in total assets. We are well-placed to weather the storm. We're actually starting to look at how we invest some of that, uh, some of those cash reserves back into the industry to help kickstart things when we get back. We're looking at a, a number of different programs, and these are, are very embryonic at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, but we're looking at programs to help our instructors get current again, but also financially supporting members to get current as well, but also kicking off the social aspect of the industry and supporting a few events in the, you know, the six to 12 months after we get through this and encouraging people to go fly. But um, but I, I think just like the rest of the industry, uh, we're faced with a certain degree of uncertainty. So the, um, the planning that we can do is somewhat limited at this point. And what about RA manufacturing? What's the word on the ground there? How are they faring? I think they're going to face some significant challenges. The, the world market has basically closed down. Uh, I'm involved with the, the manufacturers of the CTLS uh, aircraft. And, uh, and I know that their sales have, have pretty much stopped. Those manufacturers that are still in Australia, I think Jabiru is, is probably a great example. They've they've turned their hand to uh, servicing you know the health industry at the moment, manufacture medical visors. Uh, and I think this is a great opportunity. But at the same time, it's it's not enough. These guys are, are not geared up to do that sort of stuff. And while I think it's an, an admirable thing for them to do, and I think it's a fantastic initiative. Uh, longer term, that's not going to help these guys survive. And I think we, we do run the risk of losing yet another manufacturing capability here in Australia uh, if there's not efforts to um, put in place to support them. When you say long term, what's your take on how long these economic conditions might last for the manufacturing sector? From my perspective, uh, keep in mind I'm not an epidemiologist, so I, I don't know uh, how these viruses <laughs> will work. None of us are. Um, but but I, I, I've I've got this sort of feeling that the, the virus will come and go. Now, I don't know whether that's going to take six months or it might take 12 months. But the economic impacts um, and being a, a, a qualified economist and uh, having practised in that field, uh, I'm pretty confident when I say this, that the economic impacts will last well beyond the end of the virus. I think we'll, uh, we'll come up with treatments, possibly vaccines, etc., and we'll get on top of the health issues. But the economic issues are going to be lingering for, for quite some time. And by quite some time, I, I mean years. And I think um, the the unfortunate reality for a lot of manufacturers is that buying a new aircraft is an optional purchase. If you wander around any airfield today, you'll see 70-year-old planes and they mm. still fly. And rather than investing in new capital, I think those who, who have access to that existing capital base, they'll stretch that as far as they can. And that's going to really affect our manufacturers in years to come. So in an attempt to dig down into a question from last week about those sort of long-term effects, Andrew and I talked about the relevancy or the usefulness of government assistance packages. The businesses that you know of, are they receiving financial support from the government and will it be more useful later on when everyone's allowed to be back in the air? Are they relevant now? Yeah, look, I think both are relevant. I think... We need support to keep people, uh, and I'll use the, the, you know, some of the terms loosely that the government has been using, 
but we need people to stay uh, connected to their employers. Uh, and that that's possibly more important in aviation than any other industry. Uh, we've got uh, many, many years or decades of experience in some cases with individuals that are linked to particular businesses. And that could be flying expertise, so instructors, you know, line pilots, so on and so forth. It could be maintenance expertise, or it could be um, other operational expertise for you know, facilities on the airfield, fuel handling, ground handling, etc. And I think the support that the government is offering at the moment is incredibly important uh, so we can retain those skills. If we don't retain those skills, then kickstarting the industry in six months or 12 months or however long it takes to get us back to that point is going to be incredibly difficult. Mm. Uh, we can't train a laney overnight. No. Uh, and if we lose that laney, it's, it's very difficult to re replace him or her. As the owner of one of those ancillary aviation businesses, locker.aero, which is L-O-C-K-R.aero, that supports the industry through online logbooks for pilots and maintainers, what have you noticed and what opportunities do you see? Uh, yeah, well, for, for our business, uh, what we've noticed is that hours are drying up. You know, we, we used to log hundreds of hours a week in our logbooks uh, and now it's you know, single digits and in some cases it's nothing. The, the other the upside of it, though, is that we've noticed um, a few people are going back and using this as an opportunity to catch up on their admin. Now, as a company, we, we're aiming to support that, and we've, we've basically said, you know, for the most part, people can't uh, operate their aircraft. They can't go flying. So, so we're going to be um, granting some, some grace periods for certain users of our products. You know, if, you, if you're not getting the value out of the product, then we don't expect you to pay for it. But we're also encouraging those people while they've got access to it and they're not operating their aircraft that they can come back and um, and use that time to get their logbooks up to date, tidy a few things up here and there. More widely in the industry, though, uh, we're seeing the emergence of um, some online content. Mm. Uh, so RA also has partnered with uh, GoFly Aviation to um, to promote some online learning resources. So all of our members will have either free or heavily discounted access to some of those um, facilities. And that means that even though you are stuck at home, you might be updating your logbook, but yearning to get out there and fly, uh, well, the next best thing might be um, brushing up on some of your knowledge as well. I'd like to move now to your position as an aviation safety advisor. Do you see hygiene issues as being a separate issue to aircraft safety issues? And will there be any wow moments in this area in the future? Look, there, there could well be. Um, it's hard to say at this stage, and uh, and it's also very difficult to both separate the issues uh, as well as conflate the issues together. And if we think back to um, you know, some of the mental health issues that arose out of uh, an incident a few years ago with German wings, um, that brought mental health to the fore. You know, it had a direct impact on aviation operations. You know, there was a direct link between those health issues and the uh, and the outcome in that particular accident. It's probably a little bit early to tell right now whether there's going to be a direct link between something like COVID-19 or a similar sort of pandemic and a direct safety outcome. So at the moment, I think these issues are probably more occupational health and safety issues. Uh, and there's various you know, state and federal bodies that are they're interested in, uh, in governing those sort of safety-related aspects. Uh, from an RAOS perspective, we are certainly putting information out there. We're sharing the information that's been put out by the experts in this area. 
to make sure that our owners and operators of aircraft can minimise the, the potential safety impacts. And on the question, that question of safety, so we, we touched on this briefly a minute ago. I, I haven't flown since January and I suspect it will be another few months before I do. I won't be alone in this. What if people haven't flown for six months? Should there be some sort of awareness campaign? To me, um, I think there's no difference in terms of recency versus competency now um, to what there was 12 months ago. Yes. And if you're a rusty pilot, uh, technically, if you've been not flying for um, you know, a, uh, two years minus one day, you could go and fly your aircraft. But the question you've got to ask is, are you safe? And that's a question that we're all going to face soon enough in this particular environment. Are we safe? We might be better suited to sitting down, uh, waiting for an instructor to, uh, to check us out and you know, take the opportunity to go and fly with someone who uh, is more experience than us and learn a thing or two from him or her at the same time. We've got some material from uh, the Flight Safety Foundation who've done some excellent work in this area and they talk about, you know, the returning to operational, um, what they call the non-medical operational safety experts, aspects uh, of returning to um, operations after the pandemic. Mm. And they cover a range of different things from human factors, flight operations, uh, maintenance, etc. And, uh, and we'll be making that information available uh, to members in the, the broader aviation community as we flesh that out. Moving on to another question that I have for you, and I have to say that the RAOs COVID-19 update page is excellent. Is RAOs considering giving their members any, this is a more practical sort of question, what to do when your plane's been hangered for six months, maintenance advice or otherwise, when they get back out there to their own planes to just make sure that they've ticked all their boxes and crossed all their T's? Yes, definitely. So the, the first part of that is um, rather than wait until you get back to your aircraft, what can you do now to prevent some issues from arising in the first place? Uh, we've already got material that's uh, available uh, on our website. and it's, it's not just available to RAOs members, it's available to anyone. And that offers guidance on how to park up your aircraft for an extended period of time. So that's you know, dropping the old, old oil out uh, so it doesn't turn to sludge, uh, putting some fresh oil in. Taking the fuel out, if your aircraft runs on MoGas, uh, MoGas is a little less sturdy than Avgas, um, and the shelf life is, is much more limited. So you might want to drain your fuel, put it in your car, put it in your motorbike, use it elsewhere in the interim. Oiling the cylinders, taking care of your carbon, your exhaust, flat batteries. Batteries are a, a big one. You can uh, you can go and get yourself a cheap trickle charger for you know, a fraction of the cost of a new battery, and in six months, when you've you return to your aircraft and it's ready to go, you turn the key, uh, you know, your battery's going to be fine. So we've got a bunch of material out there in that regard. We'll be producing some more material uh, about what to do once you come back. Uh, and there's a great body of information out there that, um, that we need to share amongst ourselves to make sure we look after each other. Yeah, getting back to that connectedness of the industry. We're all in this together. We need to keep ourselves educated as pilots. We need to keep ourselves educated as aircraft owners. This has yeah, been yeah. a fabulous discussion, Michael. But before you go, uh, what questions do you have? The, the first thing I, I'd like to get the industry thinking about is uh, there's a, been a lot of emphasis on uh, maintaining employment in the industry uh, and the focus is really centred around um, the headline-grabbing names of Qantas and Virgin. Mm. Uh, and they are both incredibly important parts of our, our economy. But we also need to think about the other aspects. We've spoken today uh, about the smaller players, the mum and dad 
uh, training schools. We've got charter operators that provide critical services to uh, regional areas of Australia. But we've also got a bunch of ancillary services that I, um, I fear are being overlooked at the moment. Now, if we think about ground handling, um, fuel supplies, etc., a lot of these industries are quite capital intensive. They've got loans to service. Um, they've got equipment to maintain. And the focus so far has been on maintaining uh, a link between the employer and the employee. Um, but we need to shift the focus and, uh, or should I say broaden the focus and make sure that these guys can maintain their equipment, can continue to service their, um, their debt obligations and so on and so forth. Otherwise, we're going to have pilots and maintainers that are still connected with their industry, but there'll be no industry that's, that's able to be serviced by these other ancillary players. Mm. And that's what this discussion is all about. It's about broadening that discussion and bringing awareness to all of those aspects of the industry that are yeah. a little bit in the, not in the dark per se, but are in the background. And I think we've got to start answering some of those questions about pilot recency, maintainers, you know, the, the equipment that's going to be flying in six or 12 months' time when it comes back. It's very easy to shut an industry down and have limited safety impacts. It's a whole lot harder to start an industry up, such as aviation, without negative safety impacts. You know, we'll have about 2,500 pilots that need flight reviews mm. after six months and a further 800 every month thereafter. How do we kickstart our industry such that they can support that demand and, uh, and we can have those pilots and those aircraft returning to the sky safely? And we need to be having that conversation now. Um, we can't wait until this is all over. Uh, and then try and address it then because it just won't work. Is there someone you'd like to hear from? Yeah, look, I, I think it'd be great to um, to hear from CASA, uh, especially around some of these safety impacts. I think um, some of the things that they've done, some of the fees that they've waived, uh, some of the, uh, the the fuel excise, I know that that's, that's hitting them hard. They get a lot of their funding from fuel excise. But I'd also be interested in um, in hearing from them on, on a broader range of issues, what they're thinking about going forward as well. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd like that too. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. <laughs> Thanks for your time today. No worries. Thank you very much, Angela. Time for you to have your say. How do we financially support flight schools through the peak demand period expected for the requisite flight reviews when we're back in the air? What would that business model look like? How can RAOs work with industry in that sense? And what about your currency? Are you feeling rusty? What would you like to see industry associations doing to help you address this? And of course, my bonus question, what social events are you planning that perhaps RAOs or another industry association could help you with to get us all avgeeking again? I'm looking forward to your company next week where I'll be talking to Wendy Mann, the Managing Director and Chief Pilot of Geraldton Air Charter. Drop her a question in the comments section at www.rightspeakfly.com forward slash grounded. In the meantime, don't be bored. If it's something you've always been meaning to do and never managed to get around to it, why don't you spend a bit of this enforced ground time registering for Angel Flight? You can register yourself or your aircraft, and who knows, if you're eligible, it might be a way to get into the air sooner rather than later. You'll find more information at angelflight.org.au. This has been Episode 2 of Grounded, a podcast series for rightspeakfly.com. I'm Angela Stevenson. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe and never forget how lucky we are to be in this industry. Spread your wings and spread the love of aviation 